You're listening to the Bootstrap SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they built their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Dave Point, founder of Lease Leads. Dave, super happy to have you. Appreciate you having me on the show. Awesome. Let's start right with the problem that you're solving for your customers. Can you tell us something about that? Yeah. So our virtual leasing agent um, really stemmed off of multifamily and student housing. Uh, in the age of COVID, we realized pretty quickly that it's pretty hard to get the full experience finding an apartment and uh, you know when you're, when you're isolated to your home. So that's where the product came from. Uh, we saw the rise of video and we were already working in the space and had uh, a pretty good understanding of like the integrations and software that the industry was using. So long story short, we're looking to supplement the on-site leasing team uh, at apartment complexes to the best of our ability. So uh, you are able to interact and take a virtual tour. You're able to look at available floor plans, you know, current specials that are going on, really all the things you'd be able to do with an on-site community member. 24 7 365 without having to bog down the ops team at all okay and is then the, is the buyer then basically like a, the property management firm of, of like a multi-family complex or who's like who who buys it for for someone who has no clue about real estate yeah yeah spot on so uh, it, it's kind of funny in a sense that you know consumer facing product but the yeah the line item is definitely being bought by the b2b uh side of things with owners and operators in the space so they typically have a pretty good, uh, you know, capex or, or operating budget for marketing. So it's going to be like your website, of course, your PPC and all your other supporting services. Uh, one of those line items is like a conversion conversion tool. Um, so that's kind of where this falls in there. But yep, it's it's typically paid for by the owners and operators of the of the complex there. Got it. And then. You have quite an interesting founding story of that because it grew out of an agency you started in 2016. I would love to to just hear the story of how you founded the SaaS out of an agency. Yeah, I think, you know, similar to a lot of like founders, like SaaS founders that I hear, we really just resonated towards our bigger customer base and the product that was finding the most traction, or I should say service that was finding the most traction. Uh, we started off developing websites for multifamily. So we, you know, I'm not sure how familiar uh, you or the listeners are in the space, but they all use these property management softwares and it, it's almost like their inventory floor plans. So we got pretty savvy early on utilizing the APIs there to be able to pull that dynamic information into the websites. So people wanted to get out of kind of the out of the box websites that their property management software uh, offered. And we were kind of that jumping point because we could bring in that dynamic information. You know, if someone books a tour, it actually goes through as a tour. Um, we could pull through floor plan information, all that stuff. So that's kind of where it started, right? Six years ago or however long it's been, um, we, we scaled the website product pretty aggressively. And it was only about two years ago, uh, I made this strategic dis uh, decision to split from the agency space with my business partner at the time, he wanted to move to Sweden um, and scale the SEO side of things. And I was kind of like, in full disclosure, I'm, I'm kind of done with the agency thing. <laughs> it's really stressful. It was a lot of work. Um, and it just, I didn't see, uh, I didn't see 
a really good opportunity to scale Insight. So um, that's where we took the web product and kind of had this virtual leasing agent product in our back pocket uh, as an idea and, and really started to develop and, and push that to market. Yeah. And then just like on the, yeah, a bit like on how, how it really went, like on the day to day, did you build the product while you were still running the agency or how did you actually manage this transition period of having the agency, which is like great because it's cash flows, but it's like kind of stressful services business. And then to, to like having the SaaS in market, because of course, like you don't develop a SaaS in like two weeks. So how did you manage that transitional period? Yeah, I would say the pilot went towards the tail end um, when I knew that my business partner at the time was moving to Sweden. Um, I had quickly started to pilot this new venture because I knew that's where I wanted to go. And we used this like third party video tool to start just testing our hypothesis of will people interact with this widget in the corner of a website and uh, what are the capabilities that we can implement into it. So. We started with design. Um, funny enough, like my wife and I, she's a product designer. So we uh, we sat on the couch many nights during COVID and would design this product together. And um, my current business partner, Dylan, would uh, help develop it and kind of uh, develop the framework and the architecture we would use for ultimately the, the code base behind it. And uh, we piloted it simultaneously to answer your question. And really, our first customer was about a month or two after like our official split. So um, we got just far enough to test our hypothesis, right? And then really when the split happened, we got our first customer shortly after. Got it. And then did you have just like savings, quote unquote, left over from, from the agency? Or how did you fund the initial period before? Like in the end, I guess you're profitable. So like how, how did you get over this hump? Yeah, savings, fortunately. Um, and it definitely, you know, it got scary for a bit, right? I mean, you go from a pretty steady cash flow and the agency was a pretty healthy business. Like there's no arguing that. So when we made the strategic, uh, strategic decision to split, it was, it was very noticeable in the books quickly. Um, so fortunately we had savings. Uh, we did have somewhat of an R&D budget uh, accounted for for this build out of this, of this initial pilot. And yeah, with the first few customers, you know, with SaaS margins uh, as they are, we were fortunate enough to to turn around a profit pretty quickly on that. Yeah. And then just like to set the context for the rest of the conversation, could you give us a brief overview of just like where you're at right now, either in terms of revenue, if you're open to show just like amount, like number of customers or something just to have the the context? Yeah. I mean, every every property is a customer, right? So we are, we just crossed our 200th property. Um, which uh, was a big milestone for us. We've only been around about, you know, 14, 15 months now officially. So definitely excited for that. In terms of revenue, we are uh, running out about a million dollars for 12 months at this point. And uh, we have about 60,000 of that per month recurring at this, at this time. Got it. There's some service on it because we still develop websites, right? So we charge like a build fee upfront for that, but um, the rest of it's fortunately the recurring side of things. How do you actually manage that operationally, that mix of having services and the SaaS? Yeah, I, a, lot of, a lot of modes of thought there for how we manage it. I would say I look at the MRR a lot more as kind of the home, like the baseline for the business's health. I, I look at the build fees as kind of a nice to have 
Um, it goes towards things that we can kind of ebb and flow with marketing budgets, things of that sort. But I definitely make strategic decisions for scale, things like payroll and more of those fixed costs around the recurring revenue. Makes sense. And then do you have like a, are you working with freelancers so that you can basically scale it up and down or how do you, or is your developer like who's building the SaaS usually jumping on, on the, on the websites? Um, Uh, we try to keep our we try to keep our SaaS developer out of the websites. Uh, funny enough, that's where he started when when we first met my business partner. Um, but we develop we have our uh, website development team mostly freelance. We do have a lead developer in house who strategically builds out the framework for our for our templates, pushes new updates to the plugin that we utilize, and things of that sort. But most of our team's freelance, so we can ebb and flow based on demand. Makes, makes sense. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Get a 14-day risk-free trial and a transparent price of $95 per hour. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. And then, so right now, 200 customers close to a million, like trailing basically. How did you actually get there? Was it just like your network from the the agency or like what was your, like your main marketing channel in a way? Yeah, we were pretty fortunate that we did have a network uh, in place from the agency space. So it was more so of an upsell opportunity to be like, hey, we know you're on a website. Here's our new products. We'd love to, you know, we'd love to offer a pilot or a discounted pilot. So we got pretty aggressive with discounts early on. Um, to get that kind of early bird sign up to incentivize because we had the data to show that the product would work. Um, you know, especially for the student marketing, uh, student housing demographic, a lot of the younger generation, the way that they're consuming content now, they don't, when they're shopping for, you know, their next home at a, on campus, they're not so quick to interact with, you know, six or seven pages of text on a website and scroll through all these amenity features. You give them a video, it's just like TikTok, right? It's super engaging for them to look through. So um, that was pretty easy for us to push that into the student vertical. So that's where we saw the most traction to start. Uh, multifamily fell shortly behind. You know, we we're able to show some examples off and demos. And um, I would say that the multifamily vertical took a little bit longer to gain traction on, but now we're seeing that almost 50-50 at this point, which is great. On, on the discounts, because a lot of people like hate on discounts in, in a way. So would you do anything differently with like the, the early, like the early bird discounting strategy or what were your learnings that you could share for people who are like in this position of just get, getting to market and thinking about potentially using like a discounting strategy? Yeah. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I think everyone kind of follows Apple where they're like, we're going to stand behind the integrity of our product and not discount it because we know it's like, I definitely struggled with that as well. I think the reality for me is you either discount your product or you overspend on marketing, right? It's kind of that money goes somewhere. So Makes to sense. me, it was, it was a little bit easier to offer a discount to the base we already had um, rather than going out and creating cold from start relationships with marketing and sales budget. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's value in that too, for sure. Uh, we, we started that, that route shortly after. But I think the biggest thing for us was let us show you what this thing can do to our existing customer base and kind of getting that early adoption for people we already had relationships with. Now, would I go offer discounts 
um, to new customers that we didn't have an engagement with, likely not. Um, I don't think that's a good first foot forward. This was very much like a, hey, you know, you've been good to us. We've had a great relationship. We'd love to offer you this to show you what it can do for your portfolio. Because, you know, based on the data, it really does help to supplement. You're basically getting another onsite team member for $350 a month. So it's it's yep. hard that. Um, and, you know, with us having the data to be able to show, like, we're increasing your onsite tours 300%. We're able to facilitate a substantial amount of virtual tours um, through our through our product as well, it was a pretty quick like savings discussion for our operating team as well as as well as a marketing tool. Makes sense. And then, how many of the two hundred did you get by by doing this? So basically, like, how far did this initial push off of the network bring you? Yeah, that was like the initial. I would say eighty like to ninety uh, properties we'd get on uh, initially for that. And then, how did you get like the other one ten, one twenty in? Or, or what? Or, or, or like, what are you? Which marketing channels are you working in right now? Because, like, also as a bit of context, I think it's always a very tricky situation when you have to initially get like a marketing channel going, basically. So, I would love to dig into that. Like, what are you using today, and how did you decide to go with that specific channel? Yeah, I mean, it sounds so generic, but it totally depends on your customers, right? Like, for us, our with multifamily, like they're, they're very relationship based. And I learned that kind of as a crash course because, um, I'd never like going to trade shows and, and conferences and those things. It, it's not really my forte. Like I'd rather create some really <laughs> cool, cool uh, animated ads and push those out on, on LinkedIn and things like that. Uh, or, you know, maybe Instagram or Facebook, but we quickly found that trade shows were the ticket, you know, being able to talk to people in person, set up a demo. Um, that was probably the biggest thing for us is getting out to different conferences in the, in the, uh, in the industry. And then of course, supporting those touch points with LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably our biggest channel that we promote on. Of course, you know, we're, we're bidding for different keywords for pay-per-click and just kind of showing up in some of those other areas for kind of those foundational efforts. But I would say our most effective channels, funny enough, are going to be, uh, LinkedIn and then good old trade shows and conferences. Interesting. Uh, those, haven't, those haven't lost their uh, touch yet, unfortunately. Yeah. So <laughs> is, is the is this strategy in a way you go to the trade show, you meet like 13 new people, you add them on LinkedIn, and then by pushing out content on LinkedIn, they you kind of like stay top of, top of mind? Or how, how does this combo of LinkedIn and trade show work? That's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, given a little bit of my secret, so you get a participant list. <laughs> um, with that participant list, you know, who they are, where they work. Uh, so, okay. Um, you can take, you can build out uh, ad profiles for those companies and specifically target them on LinkedIn. So you can prime them prior to seeing so them. So pre, that would be then pre-trade show basically, right? That, yep. Pre, pre-trade show. And then, you know, if you're real clever, you can scrape their emails and start doing some individual, uh, individual outreach as well. So uh, granted, sometimes we're, we're, you know, mindful of that approach being a little uh, overbearing. So most times we just go with the LinkedIn um, kind of, you know, bug in their ear, right? We put it, put an ad out and, and people are at least familiar with the brand. And then we try to reach out, uh, whether through people we know or cold through LinkedIn and say, hey, we're heading to trade, you know, X trade show as well. We'd love to meet up and show you a demo for 15 minutes. Um, so that's, that's kind of the strategy that has really proven to work for us so far. 
Interesting. Yeah, because I think like trade shows is really, at least in like the Twitter bubble of tech, nobody talks about them. So I find that super intriguing. And that is there, I mean, like w without opening the kimono uh, too far on that one, but like, is there a specific like LTV you need to hit to make trade shows work? I mean, of course, like trade shows don't all cost the same. Or like, well, like what's like, how do we make the me measurement of, okay, trade show A, the price is solid, I go there, trade show B, ah, I'm not sure if that works. Because like, I think, again, like COVID is luckily over for a while now, but like trade shows are still like just opened up again in a, in a way. Yeah. So I think for a ton of founders, it's like the first time ever using that as a channel, basically. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's interesting because a, a sale isn't a single sale. A sale typically implies a portfolio and those portfolios can be pretty large. So for me, it's, it is hard to definitively say this one's worth it or this one's not. So ultimately, I just go back to like the price to enter, the price to sponsor, some of those things. Um, you know, we're we're missing one right now because of the price to sponsor. It was just it was outrageous, and for us being bootstrapped, I was like, we can't can't swing that. So price to sponsor, you mean like have, having a booth or specific like extra? Yeah, like having a booth uh, or sponsoring to any degree. Um, I guess like I missed that piece of the of the mention, but. We are starting to experiment with that. We actually haven't sponsored any events yet. Uh, we had kind of a, a very guerrilla marketing booth at the last one um, where we didn't pay for it. We had set up at another um, company's happy hour who uh, offered up a spot for us. But things like that, you know, we've been able to do, but official booth sponsorships, I mean, you're talking 20, 30K just to get in there and set up a booth, which is. It's a substantial amount of money for a bootstrapped company. So we are very, very strategic on decisions like that. I mean, that's quite, quite a big, uh, a big amount to, to spend on, on either. On, and I guess it's hard to say if it will work or not, right? Because on ad spend, you can slowly turn it up, but there's like, like on off 30K, yes or no, basically, right? Exactly. And, and I mean, I think the other thing too is like a, a pull or a push type product. I mean, we're fortunate Currently, I'm sure there will be more competitors over time, but our product is fairly novel to the industry. And, and you know, I don't mean to sound righteous by saying that, but, but it just catches people's eye because they're like, what is that in the corner? Who's that person waving at me? Like, it definitely stands out in, in kind of the mix of like the bots and all those other things that, are, that have been out there for a while. So it, it is pretty easy for us once we get it in the room to be able to kind of let it shine and talk about it versus like, versus like, you know, hey, we'll give you this, you know, tote bag and a free vacation if you hear our spiel for 30 minutes about this product that like there's 50 others of and, you know, they all kind of have the same features. Like we're, we're pretty fortunate in that sense, which has been kind of fun because it is, it, it is a pretty, uh, it, it just stands out as kind of a unique product having someone kind of waving at you in the corner of the screen, uh, at least yeah. for the time being. Yeah. And then switching gears quite a bit. I mean, Boots revenue, like founding a company in itself is like, it's never only like roses and sunshine, basically. So could you share like a war story with us or just like a phase where you were like, God damn, will this ever work? And <laughs> this and how did you cope with that? Because it seems like it's going quite well. So I, I would love to hear like how this micro war story at the happy ending. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many micro war stories. Us figuring out 
all the different APIs and players in the space and how to integrate with them. You know, that's probably the boring one. I, I would say the, the biggest one for me was getting the company started and actually going through the buyout process with my business partner, my previous business partner. When he had said, hey, I'm moving to Sweden and um, we tried to make it work. And I was like, ultimately, just our values didn't align on, on scaling the business with him being in, in Sweden. I was like, all right, well, we need to split here. So we're still in great, great terms with one another. Uh, but, you know, as you've probably heard from other founders, it really is like a divorce. You know, let's split up the assets. Let's figure out what they're worth. Um, you know, in this case, he actually transferred some book of business because he was running the SEO side of things and wanted to continue to do that. So valuing up the book of business with SEO, figuring out some of the, you know, marketing assets that would go with that. Um, I mean, it was down to the wire. Like I was sitting there for Christmas dinner with my mom and dad, actually my whole family. And, and I remember my mom called me out and she's like, hey, what's going on? Like you're on your phone the whole time. You're not here with us. Well, it's because I was physically negotiating with my business oh partner uh, on Christmas day as he was like hopping on a plane to Sweden. So it, it got really, really contentious in the moment. Um, obviously a lot of a lot of uh, heated negotiations on what stuff's worth, but it was down to the wire. You know, ultimately we uh, we cut a check to him, and you know, literally him getting on a plane two hours later, and he flew over to Sweden, and uh, it all worked out. He's he's crushing it with his business venture now, and um, yeah, we still talk every quarter. So I would say that was probably the biggest piece of it was like demarcating all of those assets, getting a clean cut. And then being able to pick up my head and be like, all right, now this business is your focus purely. And like, how are you going to scale it? And how are you going to go sell this thing that you just piloted through all this stress and, you know, chaos of splitting off from your previous business? Yeah, I can guess that that kind of stress like produced like quite a lot of like mental stress and like un unfocusedness basically but then if you if you would do it again is there something that you would do differently meaning not if you would relive the situation but like we're five years in lease leads get split up into something else like is there anything specifically you would do differently for the people who might be listening and are like in a similar situation it's so hard to say i, I mean truthfully I, i don't look back i don't look back at it reflecting on doing anything differently because it's just the way the cookie crumbled with the assets being where they were and, and the skill sets being where they were, knowing that he wanted to continue. It was just kind of this precarious situation that we have really had to carve out with a scalpel. And it ended up working, but I would say no for other, you know, founders listening to this to this podcast, like really know when it's worth it to just close up shop and start fresh again. And, and just sell off the assets or, you know, take the cash and run. Like that would have been the cleaner cut. I'm sure most people would just think, yeah, that's probably the obvious reason. But sometimes you have these precarious considerations where you, you really do have to value everything. Um, in our case, we had a couple of affiliate websites that were generating some cash. And, you know, he had the brand assets that he still wanted to use for his other ventures. So it, it got a little bit challenging to define all those things. Um, so I, and I think just be generous and, and be willing to give in to the situation because like being selfish at the finish line, I don't think serves anyone. I think it slows down the process substantially. I think it makes it 
very, very challenging. And it's obviously easier in hindsight to say that, but like there were a few moments where I felt like I was like, ah, man, this is, this is like a really nice thing to kind of just give up without valuing it. But at the end of the day, like, I know it doesn't serve me anymore and I know it's going to serve him. So like, it was hard to walk away from some of those like micro assets that I still knew were worth something, but I was just like, you know, doesn't serve me. And it's like a small stressor that I'm going to carry with me to this next venture. So like, I'm just going to get rid of it. So it's very much like a practice of a Midwest mentality, uh, in a sense. Got it. And then as the last question, before we wrap up, what's the, the big vision for these leads? Big vision is continuing to supplement the entire journey from a lead to a signed lease. Um, for us to be able to do that with obviously the progression of AI, um, being able to implement ChatGPT4 into our virtual leasing agent, um, that's actually coming here in the next couple of weeks. But then continuing to be able to tell a rich journey to owners and operators through like a property analytics dashboard. Uh, we have one that we built when we started. It's probably gotten the, le the least amount of attention out of our product stack since. So we're definitely revisiting that. But I think the biggest thing for me is just creating a very, very rich data-driven experience for owners and operators to see their portfolio at large. Um, and then down to the portfolio, the property specific level um, on that user's marketing journey. You know, what amenities are they looking at? What floor plans are they looking at? Ultimately, what are those factors that are getting them through that journey to click that button and apply? Um, We really do want to be the smartest leasing agent uh, on your team. And that's no discredit to the rest of the leasing team. It's just, we really have the tech to do so. And uh, that's, that's our goal there. Amazing. Dave, thanks a ton for coming on. It was a fun chat. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for asking the questions. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node. With actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry, delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.